Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back. Anybody joining us on Zoom for the first time tonight? Welcome. I'd like to begin our class by um, having you talk to each other for a minute because a central part of practicing Buddhism isn't just meditation, but um, community and connection with uh, other people who practice. And uh, the Buddha over and over in his teachings put a central importance on uh, developing wise friendships and connecting and sustaining with people who will uh, encourage you in positive ways. And, uh, and so, and, and a, quite a bit of, incur- of uh, support also in uh, avoiding people who don't support you in positive ways. And the, the Sangha, uh, one of the ways that the Sangha is the Buddhist term for community, sometimes it means the monastic Sangha, but there's a fourfold Sangha. There's the monks and nuns and then the uh, householders, female and male householders. And, and sometimes it's talked about that when you get serious about practicing, um, and if you decide to be a nun or a monk, that it's um, going forth into homelessness, leaving the familiar, leaving your old friends, leaving your family, and then coming into a new community, a new family. And even for us that aren't going to be monks and nuns, there is a quality of uh, it's I I need to make meditators and people who practice renunciation and uh, my new crew, my new uh, community, because I need that support. I need that encouragement. I need to be surrounded by people who um, are going to uh, be doing what I'm trying to do, being practicing mindfulness and, and kindness and compassion and Forgiveness, all of the principles here. And so against the stream, one of the, uh, my motivations for us having you know, regular gatherings and, and a meditation center uh, and, and even the Zoom open for the people around the country that aren't local, that aren't here, uh, is a place for you to connect, not just to learn about Buddhism. I think a lot of times we think like, I'm going to go to the meditation group because I want to learn or I want to practice, and it's like for us. But I I hope that you also frame it as, I want to go because I might make some new friends. I need to make some new friends. I need to, you know, be welcoming to the new people in the community, and I need to connect with people in the community who are practicing and um, to develop a sense of spiritual friendship and community. So I, I like to start class by asking you to talk to each other because it's so awkward in meditation communities, I think, uh, to meet people because you're like all pretending like you're spiritual or something and, <laughs> and um, you know, coming in and being like, well, I'm going to meditate and I'm, I'm spiritual and uh, rather than like, hey, um, you know, I am suffering and that's why I'm here and I'm trying to alleviate suffering and I'm, uh, you know, want to connect with some like-minded people. 
I heard this amazing talk from uh, Ajahn Amaro, um, and I've been trying to look up what sutta it was based on, and I haven't found it yet, but, and I'll find it, I'll give it in the next couple of weeks. But the core of it was this talk where he said, the Buddha said that um, actually the whole spiritual life, the whole path starts with having good friends. And that if you have good, wise, spiritual friends, you'll get enlightened. And it was this whole, it was a list of 10 reasons why if you have friends, then you'll go to the Dharma talk with them. And if you have, if you go to the Dharma talk, then you'll hear the Dharma and you'll be inspired. And then you'll meditate. And then meditation will lead to these insights. And these insights will lead to this you know, transformation. And these transformations will be of benefit to all living. And it was this whole thing of like, and it just started with like, if you have good friends. <laughs> And if you don't have good friends, you'll end up at the bar <laughs> and you won't hear any good teachings and you'll, you know, be chasing pleasure and avoiding pain and living a life of confusion and ignorance. All that having been said is I want to talk, I want you to talk to each other. <laughs> um, and. You know, it's, it's New Year's, first, first meditation class of 2023. Did you have a resolution? Did you have an intention? Is there something that you have, you know, reestablished, recommitted to for this coming year? Some people do it. Some people are like, fuck resolutions. That's like, uh, you know, too pedestrian or something. But, uh, but did, if you did, what is it? So, you know, turn towards some people in the room, introduce yourself, maybe to some people you don't know, and talk about, like, what, are, what is your intention this year? Where are you trying to, you know, work on? Is it deepening your meditation practice? Is it community? Is it service? Is it forgiveness? What is it for you? Um, and maybe it's getting in shape. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is for you, that's, you know, like, share that with each other. Um, and at home, I'll put you guys in groups in the room just find some people you don't know introduce yourselves sometimes i start the new year with um going back to the life story of the buddha and um and then you know spending the next few months going through the core teachings the uh, life of the buddha and then the four noble truths the eightfold path This year, I think I'm going to, I feel inspired to go through, like, to me, what feels like the, the systematic teachings uh, that have been important in my life, and not so much the story of the Buddha, or, or even starting with the Four Noble Truths, although that is the core. I wanted to start um, by tonight, and maybe the next couple of weeks, we'll see, but um, I was thinking earlier, I was like, well, what's the most important What's the most, you know, it's an interesting question. What's the most important part of Buddhism? You could reflect for a moment. What do you think is the most important part? And my mind offers a whole bunch of different equally important parts. And those of you who study with me know that I'm guilty of often saying like, I think this is the most important part about like 20 different things. Like there's all of these different parts that feel like this is the most important part. Uh, so maybe most and the hierarchical structure isn't the right form, but where, where I'm landing, where I want to start the teachings for the year and, you know, tonight is uh, with mindfulness. I feel like mindfulness is the 
It's been the foundation for me before I even really learned much about Buddhism or what the Buddha taught. I started doing mindfulness meditation. And it was mindfulness that led to an experience that I started to trust. That got me more and more interested in like, okay, this is Buddhism. Like, what did the Buddha teach and how do I apply it? And, and so anyways, so our topic tonight is mindfulness. And I heard this quote that I can't believe I never heard before. I maybe did, but didn't remember it. I was just on retreat a couple of weeks ago. And, and this is, uh, I don't know what sutta it's from, but it's somewhere kind of a direct quote attributed to the Buddha and says that, Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. And I, I always have loved that term deathless. It just sounds rock and roll. And it's one of the ways that we talk about enlightenment, the end of the cycle of rebirth and death. And mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. Heedlessness is being the opposite of being aware and intentional and mindful when we're just not, not paying attention to the path to death. The mindful do not die, but the heedless are as if dead already. And I just, I just, uh, I was like, I can't believe I haven't heard that because it's such a great quote. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. And the deathless is, um, you know, we can, Think about it as it's uh, freedom from suffering. All of the, that which the suffering that we experience in our life is due to a lack of mindfulness and a presence of heedlessness, uh, just chasing our pleasures and avo- trying to avoid our pain, heedlessly obeying our minds, obeying our desire systems, our, our fears, heedlessly being pushed around through the the cycles of suffering. Mindfulness gives us choice. I mean, I should save this for the talk, but yeah, I'll save it for the talk. We'll meditate first. We'll do mindfulness meditation. I will say anybody who's new to, to this form of meditation, I'll say some in the meditation instructions, but my, you know, current uh, and, and kind of working definition of mindfulness is the practice, the technique, the practice of present time, non-judgmental, investigative, kind awareness. So there's five things that we're trying to do in mindfulness. There's an effort to it. There's a, uh, I'm trying to be present. I'm trying to be aware of the present time experience. I'm trying to bring an attitude of not judging what's happening, present time, non-judgmental, just seeing what's happening without assigning good or bad to it, non-judgmental, investigative. So there's a quality where sometimes we think meditation is like totally ignoring your mind completely, but there's a quality of mindfulness, which is contemplating and investigating and using your mind to uh, look at what's happening. What is this? How, what does this feel like? Where is my breath? Where are these sensations? Are they pleasant or unpleasant or what's happening? So there's a quality of investigation to mindfulness, of intentional inquiry, using your mind to think about what's happening in the present moment without judgment. And then the quality of kindness. 
of friendliness, of kindness, so that it's not a dry, detached observation, right? Because sometimes the non-judgmental awareness feels like this really sort of like distancing, dry, detached awareness, a friendly, kind relationship to the present time, non-judgmental experience. I know that's a lot, like if you're brand new, like if you're brand new, just basically pay attention to your breath. But as you are meditating, you'll start to see, I can pay attention to my breath, um, but then I, what if I bring an attitude of kindness to the relationship in my body breathing and, and a quality of investigation, not just counting my breath in or noting in and out, but a, a, an interest and an inquiry uh, to the present time, non-judgmental, investigative, kind relationship to the, what's happening here and now. So that's the that's what we're trying to do. Present time, non-judgmental, investigative kind awareness. To find a way to sit upright, relaxed, find a posture that feels sustainable. And sustainable doesn't mean you're going to be comfortable, totally okay to be uncomfortable. But at least to begin with, we find that upright posture. And then part of the kindness aspect of mindfulness is softening, releasing, relaxing into the upright posture. Allowing the face to be relaxed, the jaw unclenched, the shoulders. Breathing in, feel the sensations that the breath creates in the nostrils. Breathing out, see if you can soften your belly, relax your stomach. Each exhale softening. As an act of kindness, we become open, receptive to our own kind awareness, non judgmental, present time. As we investigate the first foundation of mindfulness, the Buddha says, become aware of the breath as it comes and goes, become aware of the body all the sensations that the body produces, experiences. Bring an attitude of kindness, friendliness, acceptance to each moment. And spend a few minutes with a simple focus on the breath, breathing in, 
Receive the sensations of the breath. Know that you're breathing in. Breathing out. Investigate, what's that feel like? Where are the sensations associated with breathing out, exhaling? Where do I feel that? What's happening in the nostrils, the chest, the belly? This kind of awareness of the body. We don't have to control the breath. It's not breath work. It's just awareness of the body breathing its own natural rhythm. Not manipulating or controlling the breath. Just bringing our attention to how your body wants to breathe right now. Deep or shallow, long or short. Letting go of control and just receiving the sensations that the breath creates. Not trying to stop our minds from thinking. Be friendly towards your mind. Kind awareness that thoughts are arising and passing. Let them be in the background. Choose to return to your breath for now. When sounds take your attention, just acknowledge hearing. Return to the breath, establishing that foundation of choosing to pay attention to the breath, concentrating a bit. If you're new to this kind of practice, it can be useful to note in and out with each breath. And then when something takes the awareness away from the breath, note that, hearing, thinking. 
Then come back to the breath over and over.
Continue to use the breath as the anchor, ignoring the mind, focusing the attention on the breath, investigating the sensations of the breath, the impermanent nature, the constantly changing quality of the sensations the breath creates. And then when you feel ready, somewhat present, you start to investigate. We open the awareness from the narrow focus on the breath. So more fully embodied awareness, present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness of your whole body. What other sensations? The breath creates the sensations the nostril, chest, belly. Bringing awareness to the upright posture, the contact with the chair, the cushion. How the hands feel resting on your legs and your lap. Perhaps you can feel the sensations of your clothing against your skin the air, the temperature. What sensations is the body experiencing right now? Perhaps there's emotional sensations in the body, in the belly, in the chest. some joy or sorrow, sadness or fear, also experiencing, experienced as a sensation, tightness in the belly, a warmth in the chest. Open to the sense doors of smelling and tasting, seeing and hearing. All of the ways that we know the world, we know our experience by smell and taste, sound and sight. Present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness. What you're perceiving at the ears, eyes, nose, tongue. And begin to include the mind itself rather than ignoring or trying to avoid thoughts. Feels more like observing, turning our attention towards the mind. Acknowledging, becoming aware, present time, awareness of how the mind is planning, is hoping, 
is remembering, is resenting. What's your mind doing right now? Kind awareness towards the mind, the thought. The quality of investigation applied to the impermanent nature of everything that we experience. Investigate, inquire. How whatever you're experiencing is changing. These thoughts are rising and passing. Sensations, emotions, sounds, all coming and going. We investigate the feeling tone of whatever it is we're paying attention to, whether it's the breath, a thought, some other sensation in the body, the hearts, joys and sorrows. What is the feeling tone? What are you perceiving as pleasant, agreeable, enjoyable? What are you perceiving as unpleasant, uncomfortable, painful? And how much of the experience in the mind and heart and body is neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant? We're investigating the impermanent nature of the feeling tone. How's it changing? What's pleasant and how's it changing? What's painful and how's it changing?
Always use the breath as the anchor experience to return to, come back to feeling the body. When you get lost in the thoughts, planning, remembering. Remember that you're here sitting, feel the sensations or breathing in. Kindness is accepting ourselves just as we are, this mind with all of its amazing abilities and unpleasant attitudes and habits, the judging, the comparing, the fear, the craving that the mind does all by itself, not your fault. Meeting our minds with kindness, meeting our bodies with kindness, mindfulness, non-judgmental, present time awareness. This simple practice of paying attention, investigating as a path to liberation. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. All of the Dharma, everything that is true, revealed in our own direct experience here, now. The truth of impermanence. The truth of the repetitive craving, clinging tendencies towards attachment that cause our suffering, revealed here, now, seen directly, without judgment. And the ability to let go, to relinquish. To accept the impermanent nature of all things right here now in this body, this breath, this moment of softening the belly in the midst of pain.
or in the midst of joy or tranquility or equanimity, whatever your experience is right now. I don't always remember to encourage this, but find it useful sometimes after a meditation to contemplate what just happened. Think about those last 30 minutes. Again, using the mind to investigate, to reflect. Where did your attention go? What did you see? What did you experience? What did you learn? What did your body, mind teach you by paying attention these, you know, in that 30 minute or so meditation? Everything's moving so fast. Sometimes it's um, easier by reflecting, recollecting. Oh, what I saw was everything was changing. And there was moments that I was quite uncomfortable and then it went away. And that taught me about impermanence. Or... Okay. 
the different cycles of uh, repetitive thought and how they pass through. So reflecting on this, um, my experience and this quote of mindfulness is the path. Mindfulness is the, the core technique that uh, leads to the deathless, to transformation, to healing. I'd throw in words like recovery, like freedom. This uh, pretty simple, right? The and I mean, even even though I'm, you know, I mean, the simplest definition is present time awareness, and I'm complicating it a little bit by saying it's present time awareness that has a quality of investigating and a quality of kindness, and needs to be non-judgmental. So you know, laying some uh, technique in there, some qualifications, but still pretty simple. Present time awareness will set you free. The Dharma. The truth of, of reality, nature, the way things are, is revealed when we pay attention. We pay attention. We see reality. The way things are, the truth that everything is experienced as either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. The feeling tone. Everything. I didn't know that. <laughs> Did you already know that? I didn't. Before I started meditating, I didn't really know that i thought like only the really you know there's painful stuff once in a while and there's pleasant stuff once in a while and but then you start paying attention you're like wow every single sound just the traffic the rain or somebody breathing in the room or that that just that sound there's this perception of that's pleasant or unpleasant i have a reaction to it there's an automatic reaction to a pleasant or unpleasant or neutral and every single thought you start to be mindful you start to see like wow everything that enters my mind is experienced as either i like that thought that's a pleasant thought i think i'll chase that one for a while i'll go with that desire fantasy craving like that's i like that it's pleasant let's let's go on a ride or Maybe it's really unpleasant and even more so. Oh, yeah, that's fucking painful. Let me really dig into that one. Really indulge in that resentment. Feels so powerful to hate, to be angry, to feel righteously injustice. Every single thought, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Every smell, every taste, every emotion that comes through. And, you know, the reason that mindfulness works and can lead to liberation is we start to wake up to the fact that, and you see this in your meditation, the more you meditate, that it's actually possible to be free from suffering in the midst of pain. That whole, that second part of that quote of the heedless, you know, are already dead, are already 
you know, forget exactly what it says, but that when we're not mindful, when we're in pain, we just hate it. The natural instinctual reaction to pain is to suffer about it, meet it with aversion and turn it into suffering. Not your fault. And I, I love this part of Buddhism. It normalizes the human condition as in absolutely impersonal, not your fault that you've been suffering about the pain in your life. Everyone does that. Without mindfulness, it's not even really, uh, I think that's what I was about to say before we started meditating. My sense, you know, there's this big question about how much free will do humans actually have? Are you choosing your experience in life? Do you choose to be as miserable as you are sometimes? <laughs> Is that, or, you know, do you, you know, like really, do we really have, how much free will to choose how we react to what's happening do we actually have? And that uh, heedlessness is an acknowledgement that like, if you're not really training your mind to pay close attention to what's happening in real time, you're going to automatically react by clinging to pleasure and craving for pleasure and meeting pain with aversion and, and taking it all real personal. That's just normal. That's heedlessness, right? We, I think we tend to think of heedlessness as like drunkenness, like, well, I'm heedless when I'm really drunk or when I'm stoned or when I'm, you know, in some sort of heedless indulgence, right? Doesn't it sound like that's like indulgence? But in the Buddhist context, it's just when you're not being mindful and the natural human state, the untrained mind is heedless, is not mindful, is not bringing non-judgmental awareness to the feeling tone <laughs> that's happening with the sound or sight or smell or taste or thought or sensation. Mindfulness takes effort. And with mindfulness, then we have choice. Oh, this is happening. I've identified pain in my, in my knee. I'm mindful of it. How am I going to re relate to it? This impermanent, unpleasant sensation is happening. When I'm heedless, I just hate it. Feel sorry for myself. Get into fear, get into anxiety, get into worry. Am I ever going to walk again? <laughs> Whatever the mind does. But with mindfulness, just sensation. That's ultimately, mindfulness teaches us the impermanent nature of everything, the feeling tone of everything, that we do have choice. How am I gonna respond? And this big, uh, I think, radically different perspective than the, the normal, you know, uh, which is coming to understand it's not what's happening. It's not the pleasure or the pain or the experience itself. It's how we are responding to it. The more you meditate, the more you see that directly. Mindfulness shows you directly. I can be sitting here totally uncomfortable and at ease. 
eventually, not in, not if you're brand new. If you're brand new to meditation, you're totally uncomfortable, you're uneasy. But the more you meditate, the more you start to see like, oh, they're just unpleasant sensations. I can bring non-judgmental kindness to discomfort. And the more I bring non-judgmental kindness and just identify it as discomfort, as anxiousness or restlessness or physical pain or uh, mental agitation, we start to see like, oh, I can just be with that and not suffer about it. Just unpleasant thoughts, sensations, emotions. So mindfulness reveals the, uh, what's happening. And we see the habitual reactive tendency to meet what's happening, usually in a kind of maladaptive you know, reaction. It's painful, I hate it, I make it worse. Right? <laughs> you see that? Like, it's, you know, we meet our pain with aversion, it makes it worse. Like, what a dysfunctional survival instinct we have. It's not, it's not our fault. It's not personal. It's not like you're doing it on purpose. But the reality, you start to bring the mindfulness and you're like, oh, I'm constantly making it worse by hating it. Or when it's pleasant, rather than letting it be impermanent, I'm clinging to it and then I'm making it worse, <laughs> turning something pleasant into trying to take it hostage, attachment, clinging. Oh, then I fuck it up. I ruin it. I turn it into suffering. The mindfulness starts to teach us, oh, there's a wiser response. What if I meet pain with acceptance? What if I meet pain with compassion? What if I meet pain with mercy, with start being uh, kind to my pain rather than judgmental and afraid and being tender, being open, being vulnerable with our pain is the path to the deathless, ends suffering. Mindfulness teaches us compassion. Does is is that bridge make sense? Present time, non-judgmental kind awareness shows us pain and aversion to pain and teaches us that meeting it with aversion makes it worse. But what if I soften my belly to it? What if I breathe into this discomfort and start to be kind merciful, compassionate. And then you start to directly experience, oh, the more I do that, the less I suffer about the pain I experience. It starts to free me from suffering in relationship to pain. Mindfulness, one of the ways it leads to the deathless, to freedom, teaches us compassion. Now, often I'm guilty of sort of, uh, and a lot of Buddhism and Buddhist teachers are guilty of kind of creating this false duality between the mindfulness, wisdom practices, and the compassion practices. There's even this image that uh, is used sometimes of like the liberation is like a bird with two wings, and one wing is wisdom, and one wing is compassion. But it's a false duality because. Actually, mindfulness, uh, all you need, actually, uh, I'll make a controversial statement. All you need is wisdom. 
and pretending like compassion and love and forgiveness and is somehow separate from wisdom is not true, actually, technically. The wise relationship to pain is compassion. The wise relationship to pleasure is non-attachment. The wise relationship to being hurt is forgiveness. It's all wisdom. <laughs> and, you know, compassion is so important, and it's such an important aspect of developing wisdom. Mindfulness leads to the deathless because it develops wisdom, directly experienced, not theoretical, philosophical ideas, but meditative, present-time, real-time, practical, applicable. When I'm mindful, I see what's causing my suffering, and I also see how I can let go, how I can respond differently, how it's not about what's happening. It's how about how I'm mindfully responding to what's happening that causes my happiness or my unhappiness. And the deathless is happiness. Mindfulness creates the possibility, the conditions, the for learning to respond wisely, wisdom in relationship to pleasure and pain and impermanence. Does it feel like that to you? Do you feel like, you know, most of you have been meditating for a while and you start to see like, wow, I'm getting more choice. I'm getting better at seeing what's happening as it's happening, less reactive, more ability to respond, more, more of that pause that's, that says, okay, yeah, this is really painful. And, and I feel like one of the hugely beneficial pieces for me is getting out of the judgment, you know, the mindfulness de defined as non-judgmental, that judgment that we tend to do of like, this is good, this is bad. This is, you know, if it's painful, it's bad. That was, you know, even how did you, like your meditation, like how was your meditation? Oh, it's terrible. What does that mean? It was unpleasant? Your mind was busy? You didn't experience tranquility? It was terrible. I saw an agitated mind. That's wonderful. You got to see your agitated mind and you didn't run out of the room? Sounds like a great fucking meditation to me. But that judgment that we have on like, well, if it's pleasant, it's good. It's pleasant, it's peaceful, it's tranquil, it's experienced emptiness. It was awesome. Kind of a waste of time, emptiness. That's it? That's all you saw? Nothing? Not really a waste of time, but sometimes it's those unpleasant sitting there in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the grief that is so much more beneficial, transformational for us. And that was, oh, that was, I hated that, that was unpleasant, but it was actually very healing, very useful.
So mindfulness teaches us compassion. That's why it leads to transformation. And mindfulness teaches us non-attachment. There's only three things you got to know to get liberated. <coughs> compassion, non-attachment, and uh, it's not so personal as you think. That's it. If you can meet the rest of the, for the <laughs> you can go forth <laughs> and meet all of the pleasure in your life with non-attachment, you'll never suffer again. If you can go forth and meet all of the pain in your life and in this world with compassion, you'll never suffer again. And if you stop believing your mind to be who you are or your body to be who you are and taking it all personal, you'll never suffer again. The death and mindfulness teaches us all three of those things. This is why we can make a blanket statement like mindfulness is the path to the deathless, to liberation. Because present time non-judgmental awareness will teach us how to meet pain with compassion, pleasure with non-attachment. And it pretty quickly, you know, just even that initial mindfulness of the breath where you start to see, oh, the body breathes all by itself. I'm always, you know, like, I think this is me and I'm in control, my body, I, me, mine. And then you sit down and meditate and you're like, it fucking breathes all by itself. <laughs> I'm not as, and then you tell your mind to shut the fuck up. I'm going to meditate now, shut the fuck up. And your mind says, no, go fuck yourself. I've got... <laughs> Plans and memories and judgments and fears and I'm going to go do some shopping. Watch a little porn while you're meditating. Something like I, the mind just does whatever it wants. And then you start to say like, wow, why do I take it so personally? Why do I, I believe my thoughts, but a little bit of meditation and you see, I can't control my mind. It's, Thinks up my body, body breathes all by itself. My mind, my heart beat, you know, heart beats all by itself. My nervous system is nervous all by itself. <laughs> Digesting and shitting all by itself. This whole thing that I'm taking so personal. It's pretty much on autopilot. And we have influence and. You know, the, you can choose to take some deep breaths or some shallow breaths and get your heart going if you exercise. You can calm your heart down if you, you know, we have some influence over our bodies. We have some influence over our minds. You can choose to do some planning. I said to somebody, it might have been you, Travis, or somebody else on the retreat uh, that we had in the fall. I feel like, you know, when we take on mindfulness practice, we're like, okay, I'm going to spend at least, you know, half hour, hour a day uh, on some level or another, ignoring my mind or, you know, being present, be present, not chasing the heedless tendencies of my desire system. And spend, even if you're like serious about it, you're like, I'm going to give it an hour a day. The rest of the time, fucking free for all. 
but an hour a day, I'm going to train my mind. I'm going to try not to get too involved in my thoughts about the future or the past. Or I'm just going to an hour a day. And I've often, and I feel like on some level, the Buddha's encouragement is actually flip that. Spend all day, every day being present, doing what you're doing while you're doing it. And then if you need to do some planning for the future, some reminiscing about the past, give yourself an hour a day. Rather than being mindful for an hour and then mindless for the other 17 hours of your wakeful day, heedless, be mindful 17 hours a day. Give yourself an hour each evening. And, you know, instead of I, I meditate for 30 minutes, give yourself 30 minutes in the evening to plan. You know, I'm going to sit down tonight, seven o'clock. I'm going to think about the future. I'm going to worry as much as I want at seven o'clock tonight. Catastrophize, fantasize. I'm going to give myself a, you know, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give myself 45 minute worrying practice tonight at seven. <laughs> but we tend to do it all day, every day, right? Like the mind's just worrying and doubting and chasing and, and then we're like, come back. And so this is where, um, yes, we have a formal practice. And doing this formal present time awareness practice is uh, so important. We train the mind on the meditation cushion to be here. We take that training into our daily life. Mindfulness is meant to be all day, every day come back to the, you know, and it's not coming back to eyes closed, legs crossed. It's coming back to, I'm driving right now, here. I'm typing right now, here. I'm doing the dishes. I'm walking down the hallway. I'm at the beach. I'm doing whatever I'm doing here, present for what we're doing as we're doing it, eyes open, engaged. I'm in this conversation. I'm in this interaction, present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness of all of our activities all the time. My sense is that without a pretty strong uh, formative sitting practice, we can't really do it. You know, there are people who, uh, you know, read the stuff about mindfulness, They're like, yeah, I'm mindful all of the time. I, my sense is that uh, you do need to meditate. We need to train or to really be able to do it. We need a meditative training. But part of that is then in, in uh, engaging it. In, in... There's four foundations, the body, the feeling tone, the mind, and then the dhammas, which is part of what the mind is experiencing. Um, and then there's a refrain in the four foundations. This is the satipatthana. Uh, or the Buddha says, bring this into the four postures, standing, walking, sitting, laying down. So you can do formal standing meditation, walking on retreat. Those of you who've been on retreat, we do walking, just slowly walking back and forth, just to bring mindfulness to the activity of the body. Similar to what people do in yoga, if you bring that kind of present time awareness to the asana practices. It's important, you know, we're moving our bodies so often, be mindful of movement. Bring that into a, a practice. 
there's a danger of I'm only mindful when I'm sitting still, because how often do you really sit still? So we got to bring it into that different postures and the activities of the body. And he goes, uh, you know, he says, you know, when uh, walking, when eating, when, you know, mindfulness of how many times a day do you put stuff in your mouth? Mindlessly. Just kind of like, well, I'm hungry, so I'm snacking. Opportunity for mindful, like, oh, why am I putting my mouth? How's it taste? What's my tongue doing while I'm chewing it? How, you know, checking in with the body, am I full yet? Am I continuing to eat because it's delicious? I ate a burrito today. Fucking love burritos. <laughs> and you know that like a half a burrito is enough. <laughs> or like if you're really hungry, three quarters of a burrito, you know, those big California burritos, like three quarters of a burrito is always enough. <laughs> but it's so delicious. And I found myself eating that last quarter going like, I'm not hungry at all anymore. And it kind of hurts. <laughs> but I'm going to fucking finish it. This is, <laughs> and just, you know, like not, not totally mindful, not totally honoring my, you know, but how often are we doing that? Because, you know, I was being a little heedless. I was just like, this is pleasant. Well, three more bites. I can do it. Spent seven bucks or 17 or whatever it was. <laughs> Had to have that cheese and avocado. So maybe I'll open, you know, just, there's nothing outside of our um, mindfulness practice. And think about it as a practice. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that the Buddha mentions is like going to the bathroom. And when you're sitting on the toilet, are you being mindful? I once heard Thich Nhat Hanh give like an hour and a half Dharma talk about pooping. <laughs> and about the opportunity for mindfulness that it is while you're, you know, defecating. And how often do we check out? I'm guilty. Like when I'm pooping, I'm looking at my phone or, you know, I used to, I remember growing up watching my dad read the newspaper. I walked by the, he'd leave the door open. Every time he walked by and he's like on the toilet reading the newspaper. And they like conditioned me. Like, that's what we do. We read on the toilet. Magazines by the toilet. And not that you can't read mindfully, but there is this sort of like aversion to like just being there pooping <laughs> mindfully. Got to fucking scroll on Instagram while I'm pooping. <laughs> I pass it on to my kid too. My kid's like, I'm going to the bathroom. Can I borrow your phone? <laughs> Use your own fucking phone. I think it's worth saying something also about um, we can bring mindfulness to our phones. How, you know, are you looking at your phone a lot? Most of us are looking at our screens, our phones a lot. Now you can do a renunciation practice where you're like, hey, I'm gonna put that down. But also when you're not putting it down, when, you know, mindfulness of, oh, my, my phone feels like this in my hand. You know, like actually what's the sensation of holding your phone? How often are we mindlessly grabbing for it? of actually bringing your uh, 
electronics into your present time awareness. And then when you are looking at it, feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, you're checking your email, you're looking at social media, you're shopping, whatever you're doing on your phone, you're playing a game, you know, fucking Candy Crush, whatever you're, I know that's 2017, but <laughs> bringing a mindfulness, present time, non-judgmental awareness. So I'm on my phone right now. That's what I'm doing. My present time experience is scrolling. What am I perceiving in this? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? I like to look at some social uh, Instagram and it's so easy to kind of get heedless and mindfully just kind of going through it. But also we can just bring that awareness to like what's happening. Each time I see a new picture, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral is happening. I am perceiving that as, and it's even like on there, like or dislike, right? Do you love it? Is it neutral? And you can really use it as a practice of a present time awareness. How's that feel in my belly when I'm looking at these pictures and the judging mind kind of going into, you know, it's comparing, it's jealousy, it's uh, judgment. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. The mindful do not die, but the heedless are as if dead already. I see a new t-shirt coming. <laughs> any, we have a few minutes if there's any questions about mindfulness. Does it make sense? If you have a question at home, you can go in the reactions bar and raise your hand. Kayleen, go ahead. Hi, Noah. Happy New Year. Nice to see you. It's been a long time. You too. Nice to practice with you uh, tonight and the humor really helped. Um, for me lately, um, as I'm aging, and dealing with, you know, neuropathy and arthritis, I'm finding myself getting so angry every time, you know, I get a ping or a pang when I try to open a jar. And uh, I found myself the other day actually getting so mad that I just, you know, yelled and bashed my hand on the counter, which obviously makes <laughs> things worse. And I was like, oh shit, you know? And I think the last, you know, couple um talks that I've participated in and uh bringing myself back to my practice has really helped me to remember to be more compassionate to my aging body you know it's not my fault that I'm aging it's happening it's reality you know and to be more kind seems like it would be self-explanatory but I'm so angry that it's happening and it's slowing me down and it's making things hurt even holding the phone I don't want to do anymore because it hurts you yeah. know and all of those different things that we deal with as we're getting older um my dad used to say you know the golden years aren't so golden and he's fucking right you know it fucking hurts and bringing that to my practice 
really is hard. It's hard to be so compassionate and patient with your body when you're feeling all that pain, especially sitting tonight, I was fidgeting and, you know, God, I got to just, can I get my hands the certain way so they don't hurt and, you know, numbness and tingling and all that shit sucks. (laughs) So, you know, thank you for your practice. Again, it's really great to be back uh, with the community and seeing you. So Thanks, yeah, nice to see you. I will just a quick comment, which is, um, I know you've, you know, historically had a practice for a long time, but it's easy to forget, you know, one of the important things of uh, continuing to participate in community and to listen to the teachings is, is that reminder. Um, And like, I was thinking for you, like maybe a practice of the five daily reflections, like putting that back in the mix, where we're reminding ourselves every day, I'm subject to sickness, aging, and death. Pain is inevitable, unavoidable. Uh, Just that we're reminding ourselves that because it's easy to kind of plug back into the, you know, uh, status quo of like, uh, there's something wrong with pain, or we shouldn't mm-hmm. be experience pain, or aging is somehow a curse rather than a natural process of uh, just part of nature. Um, pain is unavoidable. And the more you're hanging around the Dharma, the more you're getting that reminder. And you're like, yeah, of course, I'm getting older and everything fucking hurts. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and I don't have to be too reactive to it. Yeah. If I have a mindfulness practice, I have that choice. And if I don't, then I'm heedless and I'm super reactive to it. So yeah, anyway, thank you. Good, yeah, good to see you. Good to see you. Did you have a question? Yeah. No, yes. One of you did. Thank you for the practice. And it was interesting. Um, when I was, when I got shot, I, I um, spent 20 days in a coma, but I, Every, I would come out of it and I would have like an itch and I would be like, I can't move. I, I had this itch and I would practice just feeling the sensation and going into it. And so when, when I was sitting now, my legs were different and one of them started falling asleep and I was watching it. So my only, um, and it was changing. My only observation was I had an emotional thing come up where I, I started crying. So I was thinking about this animal that I love and I have that's been old and it's going to die. And, and it was so like big. And then it just, it changed. But my leg falling asleep didn't change as much. And so I just wanted to know. It's okay to just move my fucking leg. <laughs> it's always okay. It's a. It's a. Thank you for that. And it's. It's a good question. Um, is it okay to move during meditation if we're in a lot of discomfort? And the answer is yes. Absolutely, it's okay to shift and be gentle and. Um, and it's also okay not to move. It's okay to, right? Like, and I said, I don't want to set this up of like one's better than the other. Sometimes it's the appropriate thing to do to, to move and to readjust. And sometimes you need to do that and it helps you kind of stay present. And there's also times where it's like, you know, yep, my legs are asleep and it's pretty excruciating and I'm going to use it as an opportunity 
to see how much I can, how much compassion can I bring to this excruciating discomfort? And uh, maybe as over the years, and I know you've been practicing lots of different things for a long time, but over the years, you, I, I feel like for me, like I want to get to the place where I can be sitting there in a lot of pain and being, you know, compassionate towards that pain. And it's all in preparation for the dog dying, which is going to be excruciating right? Because, you know, we can pretend like we're not attached, but the dog dying, the relationship ending, the parents dying, whatever it is, there's going to be all of these really painful things in our life. And if we haven't trained ourselves to be very compassionate towards very painful things, then we're going to be bowled over by them. But sitting there, and I know it doesn't make that much sense, but sitting here with pain in your leg and meeting it with acceptance and that physical is actually preparation for responding differently to strong emotions. It does translate. I know how to be in physical pain, emotional pain, mental agitation. I learned that from meditation. So totally okay to shift out of it and totally okay sometimes when you're feeling up to it to say, I'm just gonna sit with this today. And some days you're like, nope, <laughs> not, I don't, you know, I don't have it today. Um, well, we'll end there. It's already nine o'clock. If anybody wants to stay after and, and discuss some of this stuff, I can hang for a little bit. A um, couple of upcoming things, announcements. What do we got? 2023 Against the Stream has three uh, retreats that I will offer this year. The first one is in March in Portugal, 10-day um, silent retreat in Portugal. I was looking at flights today because um, I need to book my own flights over there. The retreat's only 600 bucks, so pretty cheap for a 10-day retreat. And I saw um, tickets anywhere from like five to $700. So, you know, for a grand, $1,200, you can come out to Portugal and do a 10-day probably travel money and other stuff. You might spend a little bit more than that. But my sense is it's about the same as attending most retreats in the States or even cheaper than most 10-day retreats in the States um, to go over to Portugal to do this 10-day for 600 bucks is the charge for the retreat. Uh, so that's in March. In May, three-day retreat in Big Bear. And then in the fall, I think it's October or November, we'll have a seven-day retreat um, also up in the mountains, Running Springs, Big Bear, new, new retreat center we're trying out. So some opportunities. I will schedule some kind of courses um, for 23, but I haven't yet as far as like day longs or some study courses coming soon to be announced. Against the Stream is a nonprofit. As you know, you come for donation. Um, the finances, uh, I was a little, I got a little, once in a while, I, most of the time I feel pretty confident, like it'll be fine. And then once in a while, I look at the bank account and I go, oh, shit. And I had that experience today. I looked at the bank again. And I was like, oh, it's kind of low. Um, I get start to get nervous. Uh, your generosity is what supports this place. Um, if you can become a monthly supporter, if there are people who can um, give 25 or 50 or $100 a month just to support the center, uh, very, very grateful. There's a link in the, if you're on the 
Zoom. There's a link in the chat to the recurring donations. If you're here, I don't have a way for you to sign up for that here. You actually have to go on your computer and sign up on the website to become a recurring donation uh, monthly supporter. Please consider that. That's super helpful to just to pay the rent around here. And a drop in class suggested donation, 20, 25 bucks, whatever feels appropriate to you. Everybody's welcome to what we're doing here. I feel totally committed to keeping it accessible, uh, regardless of ability to donate. But those who have more should give more. And those who have less should uh, benefit from those of us who have more to give. It's how it works. It's how it's always worked. So thank you for being here. And I'm around for the next few Mondays. I don't think I'm missing any Mondays until I go to Portugal in March. So I'll see you, see you around the next couple months. Many goodness that comes from our practice. Be offered outward in all directions, shared with all living beings. May each of us practice mindfulness so deeply that we awaken to the deathless. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for being here. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.